Tuning in to the 467th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting ever platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual, gonna have a special podcast for you guys today, a really good podcast, one with Jay Stevens. I'm really happy I had him on, host of the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. We talk everything Ohio State football and college football. In the first half of the pod, we get into a lot of Ohio State stuff, CJ Shroud, and then we get into like the wider net of college football, which I always love talking to people about, and we just kind of throw ideas back and forth, and I get to hear his takes on a lot of things, but that was really interesting. So stay tuned to that. Now, before we get to that, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast to friends and family, whether via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc., check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, you can click on the timestamp, and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can type in Daryl Lane, and uh, you will find it. I post two or five-minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop, which I'm doing a top 40 quarterbacks in the NFL we just did quarterback number 23 and 24 today. I gave my anal- analysis of all 40 quarterbacks, so stay tuned to that. Subscribe to that. It's a really fun listen, all under six minutes of video content. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right, if you want the pod, then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And coming up next up the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Jay Stevens on. Coming up next up the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Jay Stevens, host of the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. How you doing, man? Doing very well, doing very well. How you doing today? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So my first question for you is this. C.J. Shroud, is he the best quarterback in college football? Wow, coming out here with the heavy hitter, not wasting any time, yes, he is the best quarterback in college football. I think that his body makeup, his uh, way of body is constructed. Uh, it's really him and Bryce Young are the two heavy hitters. Uh, I think Stroud's poise is there. Uh, I think Young is a phenomenal quarterback as well, but I think the body construction of, of uh, Stroud, uh, I think that Stroud uh, is able to make all the throws, and he's getting better at just doing everything. Uh, so, yeah, I would come out and say to start the show, uh, or my segment of it, Brown is the best quarterback in college football. How close do you think it is between him and Bryce Young? Oh, really close, man. Really close. I mean, it's kind of like, well, you know, like in, in basketball conversations or uh, not so much QB1 overall for football, because most people give that to Tom Brady. But in basketball, you're really splitting hairs. And some people say, well, 
LeBron. So I might say somebody else. But you're really splitting hairs to try to figure out who the best is of all time in your argument to defend your, your thought and your opinion. And so you're splitting hairs with that. And the same thing with these two guys. I mean, I would not be shocked if you're thinking about Stroud and Young going one, two, or two, three in next year's draft. I still think Will Anderson of Alabama should be the number one overall pick in next year's draft. And then one of the two quarterbacks will, or the two quarterbacks will be two and three in next year's draft. But yeah, you're splitting hairs, man. I mean, you're getting two really good quarterbacks from two really good teams. Two teams that will probably match up in the national championship. Um, it's really likely that will happen. So, yeah, these are really two guys, good guys. And, uh, yeah, they're it's like one A, one B um, in this conversation. When did you know that C.J. Shroud was kind of had the potential to be one of those guys? Because last year, you know, things started out a little bit slower for OSU. There were maybe some people that had a little doubt in him. Then they really came on towards the end of the year. What was that moment when you're like, okay, this guy has it? Let me think, let me think, let me think. Because I don't want to say it was too early in the season, because you mentioned uh, early on, the Soda game was not too hot. The Tulsa game was not too hot. Um, Oregon was a loss. He didn't play against Adric, trying to dress himself up for an injury. Um, I would kind of, I want to say Maryland. Um, that was, I, I'm tempted to say Maryland. Um that I saw throws against Maryland, throws against Indiana, throws against Penn State. I think the one game to me that really showed a lot about him was against Nebraska, where the Buckeyes won that game, um, probably closer than people thought it would be, where you don't have your number one receiver in Garrett Wilson. You have in Jigba in the slot. You have Alave on, on one side. And you and he had to figure out, okay, I don't have Garrett Wilson. Who can't help me? Who can assist me? Who could be my go-to target in this game? And can I hit him early and often throughout this game? And if Jigba had 15 catches, I believe, 14 to 15, uh, 240 receiving yards, I think two touchdowns, and I think that Stroud really realized the running game's not here. I have to do this one on my own and put the team on my back to help us win. And didn't play the best game at, at previously at, at times, but Stroud to me in kind of sequence of, um, Maryland game, Indiana game, Penn State game. It's kind of like a four-game sequence. Um, Nebraska as well. I kind of realized Stroud's the real deal. He did have a five-touchdown performance against Rutgers and Maryland in back-to-back weeks. So it's kind of, it wasn't just one game. It was kind of a sequence to see he could do it, can he do it consistently, and he did it week after week after week. Do you think his job was ever in jeopardy in the beginning of the year last year? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I would feel stupid if I was to come out here and say, no, I don't. I do think it was. I wouldn't be shocked if behind closed doors and maybe five, ten years down the road, it comes out that after when, when Stroud went out and didn't play in the Adric game, that was kind of the, we'll say dress rehearsal, because dress rehearsal is behind closed doors, uh, not, the, not, not, a, not on front street, but I wouldn't be shocked if there were conversations between the coaches saying, should we bench Stroud? Should Stroud not be our guy? Should we put McCord in um, or Jack Miller, Jack Miller the third to come in and play the football because Stroud is uh, a little hesitant at times to do things and uh, saying guessing and not making decisive decisions quickly on the field. So uh, I would not be shocked. I do think his job was a little bit in jeopardy. I do also think he was a little injured as well. But that injury, I mean. Injury, you're only going to talk about that if you struggle. If you're winning the game, you don't really highlight
talk to Bell. So, yeah, I would definitely say I do think there was a time that his job was in jeopardy. Now, you said C.J. Stroud, best quarterback in college football. Now, if I were to play devil's advocate here, what if some people were to say this, right? Last year, three best trio of red receivers, right? Uh, Smith Jigba, Alave, Wilson, all of those guys are going to be, they were all first rounders and they're all great receivers, right? So, and then, then you have a bunch of other receivers like Marvin Harrison, Son, and all these other guys, like tons of wide open space, throwing to a lot of open guys. And maybe he's more one read than a lot of other quarterbacks. So what would you say to that? I mean, no matter how talented the guys are on the field, you have to have a quarterback that can get the ball to them. I think that sometimes we get lost in the fact that, oh, the receivers are great. You can put Joe Blow off the corner and get the and he can hit these guys. Well, no. There's a level of velocity you need to be able to get the ball to those guys. You need to be very accurate in doing so. Sometimes you need to throw the ball in tight windows while doing so as well. And so, yeah, it's kind of funny. They say it on the radio or podcast, or they put it in an article to get some clicks. But in the grand scheme of things, you need to have a guy who's accurate to be the Ohio State quarterback under Ryan Day's offense. You need to have a guy that can command the offense. You need to have a guy that can make all the throws. You need to have a guy that's adaptable that gets better throughout the season. And so, yes, he did have phenomenal receivers. I could not deny that. But at the same time, I believe C.J. Stroud made those receivers better last year. Um, just him using his talent, the God-given talent, the talent he has cultivated, the talent he has made better via his hard work. I think that Stroud is the guy. I think Stroud is that dude. And so, yes, he did have phenomenal receivers, first-round talent. I do think Njigba will probably be a first-round uh, draft pick if he comes out of this year's draft. And next year's draft that comes out after next season, I think he is going to be that guy. So I do probably think that, but yeah, I think that um, having phenomenal receivers can only can only get you so far. You have a quarterback that can get the ball through them, and even having a next level quarterback that can make big boy throws every single game. How do you think he kind of made those uh, wide receivers better at OSU? The windows, man. Um, and he got confident. It wasn't. It was a way that. People knew who could get the ball. They didn't know where the ball was going to go because there were so many guys that could get the ball in the game. And so, yeah, you say the ball could go to Olave, which is true. But you have Wilson, you have Njigba, you got Henderson in the backfield. You occasionally, not likely, but occasionally will hit the tight end every now and then. So there are numerous people that Stroud could get the ball to. So when you have all those weapons, you can't just pinpoint on one guy the entire time and say, I'm going to go to him first series of the game. He's getting all the targets, all the throws. My eyes are always on him. You can't do that because they get the defense what they want, a little pre-step, uh, 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 pre-step read, and that confirms post-step verification. They're able to realize, oh, so what I saw pre-step is exactly what I thought what I was going to see post-step, so I'm able to get a jump on the defense. Stroud is able to hit the window, hit tight windows right now in college in a way that a lot of guys aren't able to do. I'm not saying he's the perfect quarterback. I think there are ways that Stroud can improve his game. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he'll bring it up or not. But I firmly think that Stroud makes these guys better because they could do what they needed to do with confidence that Stroud would get them the ball. And Stroud's able to get you the ball at any level on the field. Short passes, intermediate passes, deep passes. He can hit anybody at any time, anywhere. 
say those guys better, and I do also think it's because of the practice that they put in off the field as well, it all goes hand in hand with how C.J. Stroud made Alave, Wilson, and Jigba, uh, Amanda Ekbuka, Julian Fleming, all the receivers Ohio State has, he makes it better every time they play. Now, you mentioned you think there's probably some things he can do better, right? So what do you think are those things he can do better to take his game to even a higher level? Uh, be better in the pocket. Be better poised in the pocket. Uh, but my, my biggest thing is run the ball. I'm not saying run like Michael Vick. That's not his game. I'm not saying run around like a crazy man like Johnny Manziel. That's not his game. I'm not saying run around and do the TV powers that a Tim Tebow or J.T. Barrett did. I'm not saying that at all. The one thing I will say about C.J. Stroud is that he does not run the ball. If we, if college football didn't put your sack, your, your negative sack yard in your stats, I think we can look at it and look and see, well, Stroud had this many rushes in the game, and he had this many yards, this yard per carry, but if you look at a regular stat sheet, it's going to combine your regular rushes with your negative yards per sack in the game for each sack, and so it really skews how the numbers are. But Stroud just needs to run the ball, man. Like, if your first read is not there, your second read is not there, your check down's not there, well, third read, but your check down's not there, buddy, just run the ball. Like, it's not illegal for a quarterback to simply skedaddle out of the pocket or scoot up the middle as the pocket is formed and run the ball. He made a comment that he said, I'm I'm a quarterback. My job is to throw the ball, which is true. I'm not a running back. I'm not doing that word for word, but that was basically the gist of what he said. Okay, cool, Stroud. Like, you're not a quarterback. You're a quarterback, not a running back. Your job is to throw, not run. But what do we see numerous elite college football quarterbacks do? Move their feet and run when they need to. He can do that. If you want to see what Stroud can do to solidify himself as a hybrid trophy winner, now, he's already a candidate. I don't like to go that far. But a winner this year? Run the ball when you, when it's open. Get the easy five, six, seven, eight yards. Get them from first down, second down, back to first down, and keep the chains moving. It's easy. We do it in video games. We do it in two-hand touch. We do it when they're playing tackle football without no pads on the, on the street. The only way we get to get hurt, but it's so much fun. We just keep doing it as kids. Stroud needs to run the ball. I don't think it's in him to do so. And so I don't know if he's holding himself back to be from being the best quarterback he can be. That's to be determined. Comparing C.J. Stroud to his predecessor at OSU, Justin Fields, um, who do you think was better? Um, I've actually thought about this quite a bit because Justin Fields is amazing. Is an amazing, amazing quarterback. If I just took Justin Fields' 2019 season and C.J. Stroud's 2021 season and only compared those, I would say Fields is the better quarterback. The one thing is, Justin Fields had a 2,000-yard rusher behind him and J.K. Dobbins. Last year, Trevion Henderson, Henderson was the best running back for the Buckeyes, RB1. He only had 1,200 rushing yards in, this, in, in the season now. He's like, Daniel was a freshman. That is true. But I think the biggest difference was the offensive line. Stroud's, Jimmy Fields' O-line was better for him in 19 than Stroud's was for him in 2021. So, taking all that into account, I do think Fields was the better quarterback. 
Bears. Um, host Locked on Bears, Mr. Lawrence Cox, you want to check that show out. He ended up uh, kind of saying the same thing I said about Fields in college, the same complaint that some people have about him in the NFL. So I want my gut says Fields, and I don't, I'm saying that because Fields' career is over. I have a hard time comparing a guy who is not done playing to a guy that is done playing in college because Stroud only played one year. If he had played two years, I would have a better able chance of comparing the two. Um, I'm going to go with Fields right now. Um, that, I, that could change at the end of the season, depending on how Stroud plays in 2022. So... That receiving core that the Buckeyes had last year with Alave, Wilson, and uh, Smith-Jigba, people have compared it to the Alabama one a few years ago with Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, uh, Jerry Judy, uh, the LSU one with Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall Jr., and Jamar Chase. Where do you think that Ohio State receiving core ranks? With those three? Yeah. Or maybe some other ones, some other ones, some of the greats. So, I'm going to go back to my childhood. Miami Hurricanes had a lot of good receivers. Oh, at one point, I don't know. I know they had Roscoe Parrish and Andre Johnson in the early 2000s. I know at one point they had Reggie Wayne. They had tight ends as well. They didn't have a three trio of guys that Ohio State had last year. So, as good as my Miami receivers were, I don't think that at the time, as great as Reggie Wayne is, I'm not trying to doubt him, as great as Andre Johnson was, and Roscoe Pierce, and as great as these guys were down in Miami, I think Ohio State's trio was better than those guys. I think that when you look at the LSU thing, you look at the Alabama thing, it's a little bit interesting because I believe Tua was a quarterback of those, of those Alabama receivers. I think Stroud's a better quarterback than Tua, but I think Tua did some things with the ball that allowed those receivers to get loose in that way. I think Joe Burrow is a better better year in 2019, 2018, 2020, whatever year it was. I think he had a better season at that time than uh, Stroud did last year. So it all goes with the quarterbacks as well because as great as the receivers are, who's getting them, who's getting them the ball? I'm saying I'll have to say this. I think that Ohio State receivers – I'm probably, if I had to do it, I'd probably, I'd probably say Alabama 1, um, and then 2, tied it to the LSU's group, and then Ohio State's group. That's probably where I would go. Of course, you have four guys like that at Alabama, and they're doing the things that they're doing in, on, on the football field. It's kind of hard to put them anywhere but number 1. So I'd probably say the Bama players uh, 1, and then LSU and Ohio State's Trios, both of them had trios of receivers, uh, put them tied at two. No three here. I am calling the shots. I'm putting a tie because uh, it's, it's a really close race. Now, who do you think is better between Smith, Jigba, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Alave? Garrett Wilson. I know the, I know the other two players, though, Alave and Wilson, will probably say in Jigba. I'm going to go with uh, Wilson. And I think that his ability... Uh, his speed, his routes running, his ability to beat you. Really, he can beat you sometimes pre-snap, just like some of the trash talks and things I'm sure that he does. But his ability to beat you at the line of scrimmage, uh, at the tap of the ball, um, create separation between the between yards uh, three to five, create separation in the middle of the route, 
he can beat you deep. He has the athleticism to jump high and exercise his vertical. And he can also, um, um, not just the vertical, what was the next thing I was going to say? Uh, he creates separation his, with yak yards after the catch. We marvel at Jigba last year the way that he had his yak yards um, in 2021. Garrett Wilson was the same way. I think Garrett Wilson's a better overall thing. One thing that differentiates those two guys in Jigba and Wilson is Wilson's athleticism to go up and get the ball in a way that Jigba cannot. And then Wilson's speed to really burn you, and he can do a lot of things with his speed, change the pace, and things of that nature. That is Jigba just does. And Jigba does not have the 4 3 speed that Garrett Wilson does. So the athleticism that, that uh, Wilson has, and then also the uh, speed Wilson has, I think those two things catapult him over at Jigba. But, buddy, when Jigba wants to go, he can, he gets good out there, he gets skedaddle and go himself. So it's really close. It's really, how about splitting hair? It's splitting hair here. But I think, uh, I think it would go by the rank. I mean, he didn't, he didn't ask me, but it's popped to my head. What do you think makes Smith Jigba so special? Because everybody's talking about him potentially being wide receiver one in the NFL draft, the best wide receiver in college football. What do you think about him makes him so unique? What makes him so unique? His ability in traffic to create space, get the ball, and not go down on first contact is special. I mean, think about how many times you see him coming over the middle, uh, a, a DB, a yard or two behind him. And Jigba does not lose stride, doesn't lose pace, doesn't, doesn't slow down or anything. Catches the ball, and he's gone. And so, I think he has the hands, he has the size, he has the strength, he has all those things. But his ability in the slot to quickly decipher what the defense is going to do for him and to move around get upfield and to do it consistently and not go down on first contact, it's just hard to scheme out, man. It's hard to do stuff like that. And so I do think at Jigba, assuming he's going to be in the slot this year in 2022, I do firmly think that we're going to see more great plays from him while he's wearing the score, while he is wearing the scarlet and gray. Why didn't, I, I think this is, kind of interesting when we look at this, right? Uh, the receiving room this year, right? Alave and Wilson, they're to the NFL. Who do you think is going to be that breakout guy this year next to Smith Jigba? Uh, so, you're asking me a question and two guys come to my head, so I'm only going to choose one. You probably, I think you mentioned one earlier in Marvin Harrison Jr. You said Marvin Harrison's son, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. I would go with the Mecca Ekabuka. Now, you may... Say, well, I haven't heard about him. You may look, want to look at recruiting rankings and say, well, he was this in high school. He had this ranking coming out. I'm not going with the popular one. I easily could have said Robert Harrison Jr. and given you a phenomenal explanation about why. I think Omega Egbuka can get you in two ways. He can play in the slot. He can play at the outside. So depending on where the Buckeyes want to line up in Jigba or if they want to do something they don't normally do and run four wide receivers, Egbuka could be in that slot position. But he has the speed. The, in the, he has the speed to be a a burner on the field. And he also he can be a returner for Ohio State as well. Whereas Robert Harrison Jr., I don't think he's going to be a returner for the Buckeyes. Not at 6'3", 205. That's not really something we'll be looking for. I think Emeka Egbuka is going to be a guy that 
the end of the year, halfway point through the season, after a few games, looking at him and saying, oh, so these are the things we thought we would see from him coming out of high school. He's finally on the field doing it, and wow, we're seeing things we thought he would do, and a whole lot more. So best OSU wide receiver who's in the NFL right now, you got guys like Michael uh, Thomas, uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, who'd be your best? Oh, Michael Thomas. Not even close? Oh, uh, no. Um, Terry McLaurin's phenomenal. He's really, really, really good. I can't say Wilson or Olave right now because they haven't played in the NFL. And so I need to see what they're going to do at the next level before I can put them in, possibly being one of the best or the best wide receiver from Ohio State in the National Football League. That's a to-be-determined type of thing. But I I think it's Michael Thomas, man. Um, And I I hesitate to say that because he's coming off of an injury, had multiple uh, surgeries to to repair his ankle. But, man, he's just so good. I mean, he's just so good. I mean, you think about a guy that when you lose words to, to describe how good he is on the football field, that's Michael Thomas. He is just so good. So, yeah, it is to me a no-brainer right now. Uh, I'm even debating the injury. Michael Thomas is number one. I'd probably go, probably go Terry McLaurin number two. Uh, would love to see Terrence Campbell be in, the, in this conversation. He's been uh, hit with hamstring and leg injuries throughout his entire career with the Indianapolis Colts. So we'll have to see what he does. I think it's his year four for him. Uh, hopefully, I mean, he's playing for a contract now because by this time, if he doesn't perform now, um, the Colts, <laughs> and I think the believe there's an option in his contract. The Colts would be like, yeah, buddy, sorry, you're not healthy. We are not going to put more money into you. So, um, yeah, Michael, Michael Thomas, it's, it's, it's can't go like all day long. Why do you think, when it comes to the NFL draft, people always disregard OSU quarterbacks? and like, Because I feel like it's kind of like how people disregard USC quarterbacks, and they're always like, oh, he's from Ohio State. He can't be too good in the NFL. Well, okay, you said USC quarterbacks. Outside of Carson Palmer, name a USC quarterback that's been good in that, that's been really good in the National Football League. Like, you, it, it would take you a while to think of one. Matt Castle was okay for what he was. Matt Castle was okay. Yeah, okay, yes. Oh, just okay. Outside, okay, what did Matt Castle do in the NFL? Yeah, one ten one 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 ten one season with the Chiefs and did that backup year with Brady. He did a little something. He had a... But nothing special. But, he, but he's more of a career backup. He's Correct, really a guy yeah. He's going to be a starter. Yeah. Carson Palmer's literally the only guy to think of right now. I'm, I'm trying to go recent, recent because a lot of people listening, I'm sure, would not be able to go to the 90s, the 80s, the 70s talk about USC and college football as a whole. So, if you look at just the past 20 years, 20, 25 years, outside of Carson Palmer, there's nothing. The only high the trophy winner that Ohio State has had since Eddie George in 95 was Troy Smith in 06. Troy Smith came into the NFL, went, was drafted by the Ravens, was a third-string quarterback, and didn't, didn't get a look at all. Like, he was not that guy. But he was looking at limited as a, as a quarterback at the next level. Terrell Pryor change positions. And I'm skipping over guys that were there at Ohio State. Craig Krenzel played and got drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, um, was a quarterback that won the, led the Buckeyes in the championship game against Miami in the 0-2 season. Craig Krenzel's not that good as a quarterback. I mean, he's not all that. He's not all that at all. You go recently, JT Barrett, no. Braxton Miller changed positions. Justin Fields, to be determined. Dwayne Haskins, could have been, like, we were hoping to see some things from him in 
here. Unfortunately, he's no longer here with us. And so all the names I just mentioned, yeah, we know them. We saw them play. But there has not been that thing. I think Ryan Day is going to change that. He's going to groom players that have an offense that will help quarterbacks be better and be good in the in the National Football League. But I also think that people, when they say OSU quarterbacks aren't really all that, um, they gloss over them. I think it's kind of, okay, well, who was the coach? Doesn't matter. Um, who? What era was it? Doesn't matter. But is it wise to say that right now? I don't think it's a wise thing to say at all. I don't know. Um, I think Dwayne Haskins had a phenomenal time in the National Football League. I think he had some maturing to do. No, excuse me, in college. I think he had some maturing to do once he got to the NFL. Once he was starting to mature, hopefully, I really hope this year is going to be that turnaround year for him. But I think everything should be a case-by-case basis, not what school they went to. But unfortunately, in our sports society, sports culture, people look at the school, not the name on the back of the jersey, not the coach who's leading him. And saying, "Oh, just because he went to that school, he's not going to be all that." Pretty bad of a way. Pretty bad of us or people. Not say us. I try. I do my best to not do that. But it's pretty bad of people that are talking heads, podcast hosts, things of that nature to come out and say, "Well, because he went to X school, he's not going to be good or that good because he played this position." Take everything a case by case basis. Analyze that case and then make your assumption or analyze and make your opinion without using the emblem on his helmet or next to his name in a stat sheet or on the internet to decide and to say what it is he is going to be at the next level. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to talk a little bit about Big Ten Media Day. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know. Great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw it out on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal, again. Should take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Jay with us. So, Big Ten Media Day, what were your biggest takeaways? Biggest takeaways at Big Ten Media Days was Kevin Wilson coming out and saying that we value prime, the prime time, no, we value late kickoffs on the West Coast as a high importance or something along those lines. I'm like, buddy, what are you talking about? No, I'm just playing. Um, I, I just said that just because I wanted to be like, oh, well, Kevin Ward is basically saying we're going to have uh, 11 p.m. Eastern kickoffs on the Big Ten Network or on the 
yesterday's. Um, I think the biggest thing was Kevin Warren did not deny and say that expansion of the conference is over. He just said that we're going to be strategic. We have, it has, we have to make sure at the school or schools that we consider adding or that we add fits us. It's always a strategic move. It's not something we're just going to say, oh, we want to add two schools. Let's go out here and add Washington State and Colorado. Like, it has to make sense. Sorry if you're a Washington State uh, fan or if you're a Colorado Buffalo fan. I do apologize. Not sort of knock you, but your schools, if I am picking, I would easily take Oregon and Washington over Washington State and Colorado. Now, Washington State fans might not like you for that because it'll take you literally your in-state rival, but that's the way the cookie crumbles today. How do you like all of this change in college football, right? Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big 12. You have USC, UCLA leaving the Pac-12. How do you like all this change? Uh, it doesn't sit well with me, but it's going to keep happening until college football decides that they're going to stick to one playoff system. And, or, if they're doing so, if they get a governing body to run the sport, a commissioner... Uh, advisory board, things of that nature. I think those are the I think those are the things that'll stop uh, conference realignment and schools going from um, one conference to another or leaving the independent ranks to join a conference. I think that's the only thing that'll stop it. On the JC podcast, I recently recently talked about how the sport has seen a lot of change over the past oh 30, 31 years in the early 90s, there were back-to-back co-national champions, and then the powers that be, whoever they were at the time, they said, how about we formulate a system to where we can decide who and ha- who should be a national champion by having a national championship game. At the time, you had teams like Florida State. Well, when this happened, Florida State was independent. They joined the ACC. At the time, Miami. These are all powers in the sport. Now, these are not just some schools that are whack. These are powers in the sport, national championship winners. Miami said, oh, okay, cool. Well, if I join the conference, I'm going to have a better chance of winning a national championship, so we're going to join the Big East. Penn State, remember, Joe Pa, Joe Paterno, national championship winning coach. They went from being an independent to join the Big Ten. That's when the Big Ten went from 10 to 11. At this time as well, you had the Pac-10 and the Big Ten who played the Bulls Bowl, and that bowl was involved in the uh, deciding decision about who will be able to play in the national championship game. So, this and that's just back in the 90s. You can go back to the beginning of the BCS era, um, and then the BCS changed. I know when the Big East folded, some schools changed. Miami went from the Big East to the ACC. And then once you had the playoff, you saw more realignment. You had A&M go for the Big 12. Texas A&M go from the Big 12 to the SEC. You saw Nebraska leave the Big 12 to go to the Big 10. You saw the Big Ten ad schools like Rutgers and uh, Maryland. Um, you're seeing a lot of movement, a lot of moving around. And it's all surrounded upon how can we have the best shot of us winning a national championship. Now, some of this, the conference, Big Ten, Kevin Warren was not there. But some of this is for money. You know, money does fuel a lot. But a lot of it is about conference realignment is simply about how can we give a, have a better shot either our conference or the school to win a national championship? Penn State has not won a national championship since they joined a conference. 
Miami has won, I think, two since then, which is really amazing if, if, if you think about it. Uh, Florida State, I know they went won one. I don't know if they won a couple. Yeah, Florida State won two. Uh, two different coaches as well, Jim Bowen and then um, Bobby Bowen. But a lot of times, you have a score like Nebraska, who was really, 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 really good. And all of a sudden, they get, and Tom Osborne leaves. They can't duplicate and replicate the success they had under him. Still a nine-win, ten-win school, not having um, Tom Osborne. They joined the Big Ten. Does it give you a better shot to make, to make the playoff? It might give you a better shot to the Big Ten if they better if they really good conference, but you're not the same school you used to be, not the same team you used to be, because your recruiting is different. And so I think there's a lot of factors into the realignment. It doesn't sit well with me a lot because I don't think money should fuel all the decisions that are made. I understand why people make those decisions and allow money to fuel things. I just don't think sometimes it's the wisest decision for them to make. Uh, but yeah, conference realignment, man, that stuff needs to go somewhere because uh, before you know it, we're going to have some things, if there is a governing body, to where, or even if there's not, the powers that be are going to say, we want Fox, we want CBS, we want ESPN to treat our sport like they treat the NFL, uh, have a rotating system for the national championship game, for the bowl system, have a rotating system for playoff games and who broadcasts them, um, and I get paying players, it's going to be very, very soon that we're going to, things want to be change drastically, more drastically and quickly than we might think we would like for them to be. But hey, this is the world we live in. Things are happening very quickly. Um, the ability for us to have a smartphone in our, in our pocket or for women sometimes in their purse, it's great. But sometimes it can mess, mess with our mentals and really affect how we view things like conference realignment right now with college football. It's crazy, man. It, I never thought I would see a world where uh, a sport in college football where all this is happening right now. I never thought Texas, Texas and Oklahoma would join the SEC. I never thought the Big Ten would add two schools from Southern California, but this is the world we live in. You mentioned changes. How quickly do you th- do you think those changes are actually going to happen? Four years, five years, ten years? In regards to what changes? In How terms of rotating schedule, CBS, ESPN, NBC, let's say players are starting to get salaries. Maybe there's only three conferences, maybe only two, the Big Ten and the SEC. Certainly, you think. I, I don't, I'm not trying to put a timetable on it, but I will quickly say that I do think it'll be sooner than you think. How about this, over or under 10 years? Under. Okay. Under. The money's too large. The money's too great. The Big Ten has a report I'm waiting for the Sports Business, business Journal. I won this. I, Andrew Marshan, I think, was a reporter on this one and saying that ESPN is no longer going to broadcast Big Ten games. I forget the year. Big Ten football or basketball games. Both of the moneymakers ESPN is not a part of. And it's money talks. And football is going to be CBS, NBC, Fox, and FS1 are going to be the carriers of Big Ten football and basketball. And then, of course, you'll have the Big Ten Network that's going to broadcast the games as well. But this is also coming on the hills of, I think it's going to be a $1.1 billion deal. I don't know if that's that installed. That number might change. But when money's that large, and people that are in the talking head space, like you and I are, we talk, we talk, we share our opinions about the sport, those people are making a lot of people think and wonder, 
Does college football need to stop allowing these conferences to run the sport and allow one person, a governing body, to run it? Absolutely. The sport's been a hot net, a piece of garbage at the top of the way that it's ran for decades. Because for some reason, the people in charge don't want to let go of their power and hand it over to somebody else. And which is why, in 2020, you had the SEC doing one thing. You had the Big Ten doing one thing. You had the Pac-12 doing something. The ACC, the Big 12, and the Group of Five conferences, they were doing something different. It was really, really weird how a sport that's this popular makes this much money, can't get on the same page when it comes to medical things, and when it comes to, how about the rule book? How about it when it comes to um, travel? Like, this is all elementary stuff that you may think, oh, they have all this money. They can do it. Absolutely not. I would say under 10 years, and I would gladly, I, I do think within the next three to five, there's a really, really, really good shot that the conferences who run the sport lose their power and it's handed over and taken taken over by the a governing body. I don't know who it will be. Um, someone asked me, do I think the college football playoffs should run the sport? Absolutely not. Because that means the, the conferences who run the playoff are going to run the sport. I have seen enough of the conferences and their commissioners running the sport to let me know. I don't want them running the sport anymore. I, I'm tired of that. Let it be somebody else. Don't do that. So, yeah, I think in under 10 years, Probably the next three to five years, we'll see a governing body formed. Um, I just hope it's not the CFP because I don't think that would be wise for the sport to still allow something that's not the NCAA to completely run everything and still be ran by the conferences. We'll show you. We can't get along. We have an alliance and a handshake agreement, but nobody really uh, abides by it. No, don't do that. It's, sorry, man. It's, it's just stupid. It's just, no, the sport, the sport, if you can't talk, a little annoyed with how the sport is because. I love the sport, but there's too much going on right now, especially behind closed doors that we will not know about for a very long time, that is changing how myself and other college football fans view the sport, watch the sport, and try to enjoy the sport on a regular basis. Now, what I think is interesting, which I think we have to consider when we all talk about like a unified voice, do you mean like a commissioner? Yes, but here's the thing. The commissioner of the NFL, the NBA, he can only do so much. He's ran by, or he is, his bosses are the owners. And so, Roger Goodell, Adam Silver, they know they are the mouthpiece, they are the commissioner, and I remember Adam Silver when he first became commissioner of the NBA, he had to make a really quick, bold decision in regards to the owner of the LA Clippers, I forget his name, Steve um, Ballmer. Donald Sterling. Donald, oh. Was it Sterling? No, are you talking about who got fired? Who got let go? The guy, the, the, the owner of the Clippers that basically was a racist. Donald like, Sterling. Was, <laughs> Donald yeah, Sterling. Donald, <laughs> Donald Sterling. I remember watching that uh, press conference. I, you know, I, was, I was really excited. I was really curious, like, how is he going to handle this? And then he sat there, and at 2014, maybe, I sat there on my phone. I tweeted out what Adam Silver said. I was not a reporter or hosting podcasts at the time, I was like, oh, this is a cool thing to do. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm live-tweeting a press conference, not live-tweeting what he said, um, word for word, but just my instant reaction. But Adam Silver realized, in that moment, he had something to do, protect the shield, and also realized that if he didn't do that, those oils were going to come for him really quickly. So, yes, I do think it needs a commissioner. My hesitancy with that is, I know they need it, 
are the conference commissioners, are, uh, are, are they the ones that are kind of running what the college football commissioner is doing? That is a little nerve-wracking. I don't know. Do these conferences have somebody that's a football advisor who is directly uh, responsible for contact with the commissioner of college football? That'd be a little bit better. But yeah, I think it does need a commissioner. I, I would go more of an advisory board um, than to have more of the NFL NBA model where the owners have so much input. Um, because if you have an advisory board, it could be represented two people from each conference, power by conference, maybe a rep from the, from Notre Dame, assuming they'll probably still be independent at that time and make it work, man. Like, it's not crazy. They've been dodging this and dodging this and pushing it off for decades. Let it happen. Just let somebody else run it. You'll, they'll be amazed, one, about how, how those sport is ran, but two, how much more sleep they get. So, like, so here's how I think about this, right? So you have the commissioners for each conference, and then under them, uh, you have each of the individual schools in the conference. So then that would entail people of power and influence in each of those schools. So at Alabama, let's just say Nick Saban, athletic director, president of the university, like three people who then have, let's say, a large influence of what that specific school wants. And then kind of maybe the SEC commissioner is kind of like, a commissioner in the NFL NBA in that sense is like in their own mini world, they kind of answer to the behest of what everybody in the SEC wants. That's what Greg Stinky does. The same uh, with uh, Warren in the Big Ten. That's what he does. Ohio State, right? Ryan Day, athletic director, president. What do they want? Okay, Michigan. What do they want? Michigan State. And you kind of all, what's in the best interest of them? But you're kind of saying like it's unified even more than that. But then my question would be is in this new world of college football, like, it's really only the Big Ten and the SEC, as it's seeming right now. I think the Pac-12 and Big 12 were at one point talking about a merger. I don't know what's happening with the ACC. So what would be in it for the SEC or the Big Ten to be like, we're going to secede power where the SEC's thinking to themselves, like, I mean, when COVID happened, we were going to play a season regardless. We're going to do whatever we want. You guys can do whatever you want. We're just going to be fine. And the same with the Big Ten. I don't think it's just a, okay. In a sense, it is just a Big Ten and SEC, but you're eliminating three other conferences, and so it's 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 one thing to say, well, it's the Big Ten and SEC and everybody else. Well, in the era of the playoff, the ACC has more national championships than the Big Ten. I believe the ACC does. If they don't, they're right. I mean, I know Ohio State has one. I don't. I forget. I think Clemson won two. I forget. Yeah, Clemson won two. One with Deshaun and one with Trevor. So Clemson won two. Ohio State won one. The only one from the Big Ten. The Ohio State's the only school from the Big Ten to make it to multiple national championship games. They're really making two of the national championship games. And so everyone's saying it's the Big Ten and SEC. Yeah, monetarily, yes. The ACC is in a bad deal with ESPN. It's still twenty thirty six. And ESPN knows that they are in the up, have the upper hand in that deal. But we just want to eliminate the Big 12 and Pac-12 and, Pac and say, well, it's a two-headed monster. Get in, add one of those schools, and join one of those conferences so you can be relevant. Like, I think that would be I, – I, I always cringe when people say it's a two-headed monster and everybody else. Like, it has been, but it's worse because of the playoff. Like, I legitimately think under the BCS era – you had more parity in the sport. You had more schools, at, the, at least at the top. You had more schools that were in the running to be in the running to play for the national championship. The playoff 
got to change things, man. Like the playoff has changed a lot more quickly and drastically than people think that it is, like that it was going to. The playoff is a big reason why the sport is the way that it is. Yes, Nick Saban has found a way to win and recruit. Nick Saban has found a way to win on the field and win consistently. But a lot of this is because of the playoff. I don't believe you. we have ever seen a period in the sport to where it's one conference heavy like this and then just another one that's still right there as well. Like, I don't think it is just two schools. But, yeah, I do think at some point those two those schools and the commissioners, they have to let up of their power. They have to for the betterment of the sport, for the betterment of the student-athletes, as they call them. If that's what we're all about is bettering the the, uh, the appeal for the student-athletes, bettering the environment and what the student-athletes do, let go of the power. Because we saw, I go back to 2020, when these commissioners have all the power, the sport looks really embarrassing because nobody's on the same page. It's really bad when you think about how much money this sport makes and how little the people that are at the top are on the same page. But what do you think is in it for the SEC to, like, give up power? Like, what's in their interest of doing that? More money? But wouldn't they have to share money with the Pac-12, ACC, and, uh, Big 12? Yeah, but you're going to get more money. College football is a crazy popular sport. And my and me, personally... I watch college football, I watch the NFL, I watch the NBA, I watch college basketball. Those are my four. The number one for me is college football. To me, college football, to me, I enjoy watching that more than the NFL. NFL is king, it will always be king, football will always be king, that's not going to change. But yes, it's more money. It's more money for, think about this. If you have these conferences realize we're more powerful together than we are as individuals, think about how much money ESPN will pay, will literally pay to get the Big Ten back. If you're not just getting the Big Ten back as a whole, but you're getting the Big Ten SEC Challenge or a Big Ten ACC Challenge, you're going to get a lot more money, a lot more eyeballs. These are things that fans would love to watch. A Big Ten SEC challenge in the non-conference every year. They would love it. Now, would it be an even thing? No, you're not going to play 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, kind of 16 versus 16 ranks in the previous year. You're not going to do that. But what you can do is really hype up some of these matchups, hype up some of these coaching battles, hype up a lot of these things. And the next thing you know, ESPN is dumping the brakes truck, getting all of them. Thing here, college football. Y'all do this, we got this for you. You're going to get more money. As popular as SEC football is, it doesn't make the most money in the sport. The Big Ten does. If you combine that, think about how much more money you can have. The facilities could be better. The the amenities for the football players and the other players could be better. Everything could be better. If they just come together, get off their high horse, and say, look, we're better as a unit running this thing than trying to run it individually. But 
let's say this then, right? But do you need all five conferences? Like the Big Twelve, uh, the Big Ten, the SEC, and let's just say, let, let's just use the ACC for example. Each of three of them could at least just take the most valuable that's left out of both the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and then just call it a day. Right. That, that, that makes perfect sense. Because... Because why do we need five conferences then? Why do you need six? Why do you need 60 schools in, in these five conferences? Like, I think the number of schools and conferences is too large. I know some schools are there for basketball or they are charter members, so I understand all of those things. But I would have no problem with five conferences if you have only really elite schools inside the conferences. Or if you want to have four conferences or three conferences or two conferences. doesn't matter. But I would have no problem with whittling down and shortening and lessening the amount of conferences. That makes total sense. But also what I would love to have, I would love for, I would really love for there to be less schools at the Power Five level. Because it just makes sense to do so. The NFL has 32 teams. The NBA has 30 teams. You don't see them going out here and trying to have uh, expansion franchise, franchises every year, every two years, to whether have 40 schools, 40 teams in a league for the NBA or um, 45 in the NFL. That would not make any sense. Doesn't make sense at all. You want to make things more competitive? Less schools in power at the power five level, it makes a lot of sense to make that happen. It does. I also imagine this world you're talking about, we're separating college football from the other college sports, including basketball, right? It already is. No, but what I'm saying, right, like, let's say if you're Kevin Warren, you're the Big Ten commissioner, it's not just, like, football, like, there's other things, so what I'm saying is, would, would that just be, like, football just becomes, like, officially its own separate entity? To where the money that football brings in does not help the basketball? Basketball, other sports, right? Because if you're starting to dwindle down conferences, right, like, if uh, USC brought not only football, they brought all their schools, so, like, softball is going to be competing in the Big Ten. It just becomes like a strictly a football thing. So you're trying, so it's kind of like playing a scenario. So you're, are you asking that in the in the future, like Notre Dame hockey is in the Big Ten, but that's the only sport that's in the Big Ten is hockey. So like the way like football, money, football itself is not attached to the Big Ten conference and the other sports? Let's just say there's like a how do I want to explain this? There's like a, let, let's just, yeah, sure, sure. I don't think the Big Ten would want to do that because obviously they want to be attached to how much money these sports make. But let's just say it becomes completely separate. Like, let's just say it becomes basically like minor league baseball. It's like there's minor league baseball, kind of like there's the majors. They're separated. They're kind of under the umbrella, but there's like a clear difference. Like there's a feeder system, but like it's just different. So let's just say they're all separate entities. So like everything that goes on in college football is separate. So now when USC goes, uh, all these other sports stay in the Pac-12. The Pac-12s can still exist. Actually, I don't know if they could exist without football, but let's just say they could exist. Uh, but USC football is just going. That's what I'm saying. Conferences can't survive without football. I see what you're saying. I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, conferences, the money that football brings in, to these schools and universities, even those schools that are, that are really, really bad, 
the other sports cannot survive. If it was basketball only and everything else, we're going to see a drastically different product um, from how ESPN broadcast softball. I, don't even think, I, I think a lot of schools would have to cut back on a lot of sports because football fuels a lot of things. Here's another one for you. A lot of these non-conference games, um, a lot, so Ohio State plays Arkansas State and Toledo at the, in weeks two and week three of this year. Ohio State's cutting a check to those schools. Now, they're also cutting a check to, to Notre Dame when Notre Dame comes to Columbus week one. But I'm going to go with the lesser schools now at this time that need that check for their athletic department to survive for that school year. And that's why I don't see that happening. I don't see it happening because monetarily and financially, it was like bad business. it's a bad business model that you are literally surviving off of another sport. If that sport goes away, you're cutting your own sport. Like, that's really, really weird to me. Like, I'm also not a businessman, so maybe I guess somebody that's an active business could enlighten me and tell me why that makes a lot of sense to you. Um, why it's a great business move. But to me, it's always been just a bad business move that you have to play these. You have to, you have to get a 1.5, a 1.8, 1.9 million dollar check from a school to play a football game. And that's going to flood your entire department. I'd like to cover for the entire year. You, they, they financially cannot do that. It's not possible for that to happen. So then, in your scenario, where there's a commissioner, the commissioner's affecting all sports. Oh, no, 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 no. So college football is the only sport that is ran by the NCAA in some aspects, but the NCAA does not sponsor that yeah, sport. Yeah, college football, correct. So, the, the playoffs. So when I say like a commissioner, I'm taking away all the power that the NCAA has over college football and giving it to a college football commissioner who runs the entire sport. But that money that the sports are getting, that football is getting at these schools, that money is still dispersed evenly or however the conferences fit, and that money is still helping the athletic departments in that in that school uh, and the other sports. So in my scenario, which I've heard a lot of people discuss this, college football is ran and has its own body, entity, governing body, whatever it is, that runs everything. But that money is still being utilized the same way that it's utilized now. And they're still going to they're still going to have conferences in the sport. It's just the so like the transfer portal, NIL. Those are NCAA guidelines and rules that football has to abide by. Football, however, is not sponsored. So if you watch a college football game, you're not going to see any NCAA NCAA branding. Um, watch a watch a playoff game. NCAA the NCAA logo or anything would not be there at all. Because it can't be. It's not one of those spots of sports. It would go against the agreements and the contracts and all of those things. And so all that power that the NCAA has, take that away, give it to a governing body to run the sport, but the financials that are generated in the sport are still going to be utilized in the same way in the conference, how the Big Ten sees fit, how the athletic departments, how they see fit that the money should be used. Now, if we do also do this where we have three conferences, just let's say we bring in, we outsource Oregon, uh, Cincinnati, let's just say Baylor, Oklahoma State, uh, Washington, maybe even Washington State. I know you didn't want to bring Washington State, but we'll bring them along too for all those white people in the good state of Washington. We'll bring them along too, right? That would basically be, you know, the bigger the conference is, all these teams are playing more conference games. That lessens, so like Ohio State, Toledo is less likely to happen. 
uh, South Carolina versus South Carolina State or whatever is less likely to happen. Alabama versus Alabama State is less likely to happen. All these schools are playing each other. Well, then the Pac-12, as soon as USC and UCLA leave, UCLA leave, Washington and Oregon leave, that then makes it a less valuable product. So then that is less uh, money. The Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas, that now drastically changes the revenue of that conference and then thus affects the schools if it's only becoming three. So wouldn't all those sports kind of get cut anyway? If the money is utilized, so if the money is utilized in football only, and football money is not shared uh, once a governing body is formed, then yeah, you're going to see a lot of sports being cut. You would. I say use the money evenly because maybe I'm selfish. I want to. I, I see value in the cross country uh, student athlete. I see value in the kid that plays softball and the young lady that plays softball or that plays. Um, lacrosse or tennis. I see value in that. I don't see a way for those other sports to survive if they're simply surviving off of basketball money. I don't see that. I don't see that at all. I don't see a scenario where that can happen. Maybe temporarily, but you don't see a lot. I mean, goodness gracious, UCLA was in massive debt. I mean, they're still in debt. But now they're going to be better. They won't have to, they won't have to cut sports now that they're joining the Big Ten. Stanford was on the verge of cutting volleyball, men's volleyball, which is huge over there in California, during 2020, because there's going to be no season. They ended up keeping it. They were going to cut, I think, 10, I think they were going to cut like 10 or 11 sports. Ended up keeping them all. But now, all of a sudden, you say, well, football has its own thing. You're in the Pac-12. The conference is still the conference. But that month that you're generating playing football, it does not get dispersed in the same way. And so, then, soccer. Um, whatever it is, those other sports can't happen. Man, you want to have a lot of upset, not just athletes. You want to have a lot of upset people that are in the athletic departments, a lot of upset parents. And then you want to have parents be like, well, do I really want my kid to play lacrosse when it's option of limited to play in college? Knowing that he's really, really good in high school, at a sophomore high school, and I think he could get a, a scholarship, or even if it's partial, but... I just don't think it's going to happen because that sport might not be there when my, when my youngster gets to, gets to the time to go to college. Like, I just don't see a scenario where financially those – like, they're called non-revenue sports for a reason. They ain't bringing in no cash. Like, football is bringing in and funding a lot of other things going on, even at these major universities, for these athletic departments. So, okay – yeah. So I want to say, okay, so maybe you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. So what I was saying, I get before what I was saying if you separated. Now what I'm saying is if USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Washington State, let's even say Colorado, half of all these markets are out, there is less money that is going into all those schools, even if there's football. What I'm asking is would like sports still get cut even because there's going to be much less money? If there's less money, schools are going to get cut. Our program, would programs get cut? Like the entire sports program? Because how much does USC supplement to the whole Pac-12 based off of TV? A lot. Yeah, so... No, I I agree. So I'm saying now that USC is gone, they are not coming back to uh, the Pac-12. Does that now affect... How does that affect in terms of, let's say, at Colorado, the women's swimming team at Colorado? Because that all is money in the TV that goes to everybody. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but Colorado football is generating money outside of the TV deals, too. Okay. Like, these schools, 
You see what I'm saying? Like these schools are still generating money outside of the t- outside of those TV deals, but losing losing USC and even UCLA does hurt how much money the the, the schools can generate. The nice thing is there are contracts that are signed, and they know how much money they're going to get from TV deals over the net, over the duration of the of that of, the, of those deals. Excuse me, but yeah, no. If if if, if a Pac-12 goes down to six schools. Like schools either have to leave the conference or cut sports. Like you have your options. Are, your options are really limited because which one do you want? Do you want to keep? Do you want to keep soccer? Do you want to keep volleyball? Do you want to keep these, these non-revenue sports? Well, you got to make some. You got to make some big boy decisions to do so. I mean, maybe schools start joining like the MAC or like the Mountain West, and they become like uh, the Sun Belt, and they become their you know. And then they do it differently in this new world of college football. That could also happen. But I do actually want to say this in terms of football supplementing everything. I do agree with you. But, like, let's use this for example. In Division Two and Division Three. I mean, football's not making the same money. And those sports are all funded. Those sports are also ran differently. Correct. So what I'm saying is then... The, it w- the, the, the D2, D3 does not have the chaos of high-level FBS football. No, I, I agree, but what I'm saying is, so then couldn't they survive without football? They just have to change their model in terms of how they treat the other sports. So instead of like the quote-unquote D1 experience for, let's say, a men's swimmer would no longer, would, would be more similar to the experience of a D2 or D3 swimmer. Possible. But if you're not generating money, even if you cut down on what you're doing, and if you lose the, uh, the amount of revenue, yes, it, it's, it's possible. Yes, I see what you're saying. It's possible. But isn't that the appeal of going to a Stanford? Isn't that the appeal of going to um, all these schools across the country and you're playing these non-revenue sports? Isn't there an appeal of saying, I'm a D1 athlete? Because the D1 experience is different than a D2 or D3? That's fair. Like, I see what you're saying. I completely see what you're saying. Like, you cut things back if they start if they start doing things and following the model of a D two or D three school. That sounds good. It makes sense. But then again, it doesn't make sense because a D one experience. I am a D one men's soccer player. I'm not at a D two school. I'm not at a D three school. I'm not at NAIA. I am a D one men's soccer player. That that holds weight. You go to interviews. You're not just saying I played college soccer. I played college soccer at this school, in this conference. That's huge. Like, I, okay, so I live in Indiana. If I say that I am a men's soccer player at Ball State, it doesn't hit the same as it does as me saying I'm a men's soccer player at Notre Dame or Indiana. And all three of those are D1 level of soccer. But there's still levels to this. So we can, we can even go at the D1 level and say, hey, I played in soccer. What school did you go to? What, well, okay, well, I went to, I went to this school. Okay, great. Like, cool, cool, cool. I went to Ball State. Somebody else comes in, same, same credentials for a job, and they say, well, I played D1 soccer at this school. And all of a sudden, that other school, the other person there, gets lifted up in the rank of the job interview simply because of the school. Like, it sounds stupid. It sounds silly, but that's how we are. People like we value things like that. But yeah, no, like there are levels to even a D one experience in these non revenue sports. And so if you're, 
Correct. I, I just meant you cut back the money. Like, you could still call it D1, and I guess that would change everybody's mind because it's like you only know what you see on TV and what people have had before. So people would realize, like, oh, like, the training room doesn't look like this. Oh, like, we don't have key cards to get in here, like, and stuff like that. Like, you would start to notice, like, there is a difference, right, that is more D2 or D3 because there's less money. But, quote-unquote, in terms of, like, the actual competition, you could still be considered a, quote-unquote, D1 athlete. It would just be your actual experience there in terms of how you're treated uh, would not be what it was. The, the difference was what a D1 treatment would be for a soccer player would be different under this circumstance. Stance. But yeah, you can still I, say I'm a D1 soccer player and it's still competition. Correct. I play it. No, that's what I'm saying. Correct. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I, 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 I would have a hard time, a really hard time thinking that they're going to make that, that score. I think the first move would probably be to cut this. Of course, you're trying to, you're going to try to make budget cuts via salaries and via travel and all of those things. But at some point, you can you, you can only cut the budget so much before it just makes absolute before it makes sense for you to just cut the sport as a whole and stop and stop losing money to have a sport. Like at some point, somebody if you're if you're, if you're going to keep cutting money back because the football money is not there or it's not like it was, sports might have to be cut to save it like to save the department from really being in a huge financial hole. So, quickly, I do want to go to this now. Uh, is USC going to be in the Big Ten East? By that time, are they going to be in the, the Big Ten East? No. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, by that time, I think it'll be divisionless football and the Big Ten. And um, I think it'll be some more pods. So, I would assume, let's say there's 16, 4, 14 pods in the Big, in the big Ten. Um, let's just say, geographically, no, I don't have a count right in front of me. I'm going to go USC, UCLA, Nebraska, and let's say Iowa in there as well. Um, like, you're going to get some pod system to where it's going to make you more sense to go ahead and do things still somewhat geographically or um, with protected rivalries. But, um, no, it, by, by the time USC and UCLA join the Big Ten, I doubt the Big Ten East and Big Ten West will still be a thing. I think those will be canceled just like the legends and leaders were shortly after the Big Ten decided to have uh, divisions and have their own conference championship game. So, like, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State would all be in a four quad, right? Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan? Probably not. My guess would be Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and then maybe like Illinois or Northwestern. I don't think you would have four schools. Not so. Ohio State's better than all, four, all three of those schools. I don't think you would have all the, all those schools in the same pod. That's just that's the four best teams that four the four of the five or six best teams in the conference in one pod. That's unfair to the rest of the conference. But I do think you'll probably get a Penn State, a Michigan, two rivals of Ohio State in a pod with Ohio State, of course, and then probably Illinois or a Northwestern to kind of even things out to where you get some time, you get your rival, Ohio State. Ohio State gets a tougher opponent in Penn State, still a rival. And then you can get Illinois, who would still technically a rival in the trophy game Illinois and Ohio State have, or maybe Northwestern or Purdue or in Indiana. Like, you're not going to get, like, four, four, four top opponents like that in one pod. That's unfair. Jim Knoll, what do you expect from the defense this year? Ryan Davis has a top 10 defense. I expect him to be at least top 50, uh, top 40. Uh, top 10 is really steep. Um, uh, like, that's tough, especially when you're getting up 
21 plus points on your on your team on teams. Um, trying to have, like I said, Jim Nolte changing, be more aggressive. Um, I think being more aggressive is the biggest thing. That I think that, that we expect, but Ryan Day expects a top ten defense. I left that off with that on purpose because that shocked me. Do you expect a, a, you expect a team that has a number one offense to have a top ten defense? Absolutely not. But I'm pretty sure Ryan Day expects it, and I'm curious to see if that ex- ex- expectation is met this year because uh, I think it's aggressive defense is going to be great for Ohio State that Jim Dolphins is bringing. Um, I also know that can lead to a few gambles, and gambles are not really the best thing for a team that wants to be the top ten defense because gambles can lead to big sixes, gambles can lead to scooping scores, and gambles can lead to a different turnover, uh, a different turnover of uh, ratio or differential differential than you think you would like. And the Ohio State tight end room lose Jeremy Rucker, got drafted by the Jets, been a stalwart there for a few years. How do they replace him? By committee, it won't just be one guy. Rucker was a player with a solid, solid blocker. Um, showed some flashes in the passing game when he got when he had the looks. You're going, to get, you're going to see guys like Kate Stover, Joe Royer, maybe a G. Scott Jr., Mitch Rossi in an H-back or a full-back role. Um, I think it's going to be three or four guys that are going to be there in that role, primarily two and Royer and Stover, as well as um, Rossi. Rossi. Rossi will be there. Ohio State is sometimes two tight end sets, 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, and you'll see Rossi be that second tight end at times. I think it'll be rare for you to see a, a 13 personnel or a 23 personnel. We have two backs and um, three tight ends or one bad to three tight ends. I don't think that'll happen. So if Rossi's on there, I do think Rossi will be primarily sometimes lined up with Stover or Royer um, there because I do think that they can both really assist in the passing game for the Buckeyes in 2022. Jay, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. No problem, man. This was fun. It's a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on. And once again, I want to thank Jay for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 467th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.